Welcome back to season four of Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast show of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and while I may still be in the studio, the rest of my team is enjoying some well-deserved home rest time. And today I have with me my regular co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What's up, everybody? Uh, Janelle Wheeler. Hi, guys. And joining us from the comic book staff, one of our uh, greatest, Mr. Spencer Perry is here with us today. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, Spencer's here because he is going to, he's one of the rare people who I think was like around at the time in the industry too, when we all had to go through Avatar the first time. Um, I believe back then you were, you were at Coming Soon. No, and, back, uh, back then I was still in college. Really? Okay, yeah, so yeah, you, came, but, you came on the scene ever after Avatar, like, yeah. But I've Gen spent one, the whole time writing about Avatar 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I forget I forget what, like, Gen 1 blogosphere, like, what the timeline <laughs> was for those 2010s era. Now we have to deal with all these Gen 2 and 3 kids and you know, YouTube and whatnot. <laughs> uh, but that's another story for another they're, podcast. So, uh, they're YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Spencer is here with me because we both got to go out and see Avatar The Way of Water on the uh, in 3D on the big screen. So we are going to talk about that because, of course, there there is that small milestone of that movie being released today. And uh, we thought we'd get to ranking our favorite movies this week uh, as a follow-up to us ranking our favorite <laughs> TV shows and comics um, like we did last week and had a lot of fun with. But unfortunately... You know, there's no sleep over there at DC Studios. And so once again, our whole show got hijacked late game by the unfolding drama in the DC universe, which we must now go over again for the latest updates. So this is just slowly turning into like fall crisis on infinite DV DC Studios podcast. But uh, oh, my God, go they are in their own. They're having their own final crisis. Yeah, because right? the last oh, re shakeup was infinite. And the first one was Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh my God! Then next oh we're in for God. a dark crisis. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. But ah. yeah, the first on a lighter note. At first, we got some fun things to talk about. We got two big trailers this week that we want to highlight. The first just is coming in hot just this morning and showing in theaters before Avatar, which is the Barbie movie has re released its first teaser trailer. So. We have the first Barbie teaser trailer. This is the film. Um, this is Barbie, but it's being done by Greta Gerwig and uh, Noah Baumbach, you know, who's also kind of making some noise again this year from, you know, Noah Baumbach, Squid and the Whale, Greta Gerwig from Lady Bird and other films, Little Women, uh, have come together, an unusual team to come together for a Barbie movie. We all heard about this. Margot Robbie is very big. She's starring in the project, producing. She's literally very like, big right now. Yeah, I know. Right, right on screen if you're watching. Yes. Um, and we all wondered, like, what the hell is this Barbie movie going to be? Because we we all thought there's going to be some kind of maybe satirical or kind of edge to it. But this first trailer is I don't think anybody expected it to go down like this. But uh, I've I very like I very much enjoyed it. And I've seen a lot of online hype of people, even guys be like, I didn't think I'd be this excited for like a Barbie piece, a piece of Barbie cinema. But here we are. Um and that's very much what it's like. I mean, this first teaser is playing an ode to Stanley Kubrick's 2001, A Space Odyssey, if you don't get the reference. And the kind of, if you know that movie, it's about, you know, it starts with primordial, not man, but like beings, half ape, half men, discovering this strange monolith 
and you know they play the music that you hear playing in this trailer um and this time it's for little girls and the concept of playing with dolls and how barbie came along and completely you know changed that paradigm and it's a whole lot of symbolism but it, it just the way it's filmed the music the ode to 2001 and then uh using margot robbie's kind of you know, classic movie star, you know, looks and persona in playing with the whole kind of Barbie image. So far, I, I'm just liking the kind of intelligence I see in this. And like I said, the artistry I kind of see in this. Um, and just the set, when we get the larger kind of sizzle reel, the set pieces, the actors like Ryan Gosling, I think, is that Issa Rae I saw in there? Yeah, um, yeah. C-Mail yeah. uh, Lu from Shang-Chi. I mean, it just looks like this is going to be a movie to see and uh this was a really great teaser so that's my opinion uh throw it out there let's jump to the most qualified person to talk about this on this on the set matt what did you think about this <laughs> wow wow i mean uh i don't know i i don't i don't know how to how to take that <laughs> i don't know how to take that um but here's the thing uh i adored it i thought it was amazing i was all i was all in on this i thought it was just so not at all what I was expecting. But then again, they, they've kind of teased that it was it was going to be something special. It's going to be something different. Uh, so I I'm in, man. I'm I'm in on the uh, on the Barbie movie. I am very excited. Um, Anissa was not feeling this, I will say. It was not she was not feeling this trailer, but I came in just like all over the place with energy on this. So I, I loved it. I thought it was so fun. Uh, As Janelle, Bill says in think? the comments, would you say you had big doll energy that you got from this? <laughs> I did. I did. I had a big doll energy. Yeah, I go with that. I think uh, this is super. This looks super fun, and also it does. It does look like it's going to have, you know, very much a, a little bit of meta ness to it. So I think that's the perfect uh, recipe. Janelle, what do you think? I am so excited. I I think the reason why Anissa might have beefed with it is because as a little girl, you know, gender norms were different back then. We kind of had to play with dolls as chicks and I would like sneak Legos and like G.I. Joe's from my cousin. Um, but I feel like you were either a baby doll girl or a Barbie girl. Like, the girls that always wanted to be moms, you know, like they loved their baby dolls. I was like, I don't want to be a mom. I want to be a Malibu girl in a bikini, like as a little girl. So I was a Barbie girl. Like, as a matter of fact, I had like gem Barbies. So um, that might be why. I don't know. But it, you have to be okay with it being irreverent. Like nothing is safe from our childhood anymore. Like everything's going to be made into something. And I feel like they're going to do a great job with this. I'm all about it. And I love the sex appeal. I'm obsessed with Margot Robbie. She's so hot. And yeah, I'm, I, this is, oh yeah. I feel like this is like made for me. I'm so pumped. I'm actually the least excited about Gosling's Ken. Like, I'm like, do we even need a Ken? Can we just like not do the Ken thing at all? Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I, I also love the Tyra Banks Barbie thing too, by the way, from back in the day. So oh, sure. yeah. that was great. There's a Christmas one too. So I'm, I'm watching that. Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, uh, Spencer. Spencer, yeah, let's get Spencer because we, I mean, Spencer, this is the beginning of a whole Margot Robbie segment you and I are going to be on sure. today. So, uh, <laughs> I'll add this one. Yeah. What I love about this trailer is that, um, the, the fact that it's playing before Avatar and the fact that it's doing a riff on 2001 is 
that's for the grown-ups to see. That's for the grown-ups to that's a message to the parents in the audience saying, We know you're coming. This won't be a chore to sit through. This will be fun. This will be irreverent. This will be for everyone. Everyone in your family will find something to like about this. I love that. I love that shot. The girl with the glasses looking up. That's 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 so funny. But uh yeah, I, I, this is a genius teaser trailer, not only because of the iconography of Barbie compared with the monolith from 2001, but the fact that it's, you know, the first half is them being like, you can watch this and enjoy it. And the second half is just, you know, pop imagery, which just, you know, it looks amazing, especially because Greta Gerwig's never really had like this big of a canvas as a filmmaker. So it, it, it'll be fun to see like, you know, big colors and costumes and dance numbers and set pieces like that. So I'm all in. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of sly things that we can already pick out about what this movie is going to both honor Barbie, but also be slightly like kind of critical of the Barbie effect. Um, I think the girl with the glasses looking up and starting to get, I think they're going to come back to that idea, like this girl thinking like having to compare herself to like a Margot Robbie type. I think Margot Robbie is very sly about how to use her image as we're going to. Once again, me and Spencer will go on an entire tangent about this later in the show, because uh, when we review something, but... Also, that the cast has this diverse lineup of people in it is obviously kind of a signal that they're going to address, you know, what some of that in how it compares to, you know, the Barbie fantasy versus like the reality and all this stuff and who it should appeal to. So I like that they're going to do both things at once, which is ambitious. As Spencer said, it was a signal like, yes, this is going to be fun for like the whole family and probably reintroduce Barbie to a whole new generation of kids. But it's also going to have some kind of sly, smart things in it that for adults and you know, st- and older people to kind of, or even kids to consider. So, well, I think I'm surprised uh, by this trailer. I think that's also true of like the brand overall. I think yeah. that at a at a different time, like I think I don't think Anisa. I'd have to I'd have to ask her like point blank. But I, I don't think Anisa was ever like huge into Barbie because of some of those things, some of those stereotypes and things like that um, that Janelle mentioned. And but also the stereotypes the, are with babies, making right, but like, women right. like girls play with babies as moms. Like that's right, all but we're like good for now, moms. raising a little girl, yeah. I want her to like. I kind of there was a little bit of like if I had rate, let's say we had had Ember ten years ago instead of now, and the Barbie line looked a lot different. <laughs> it was all white. <laughs> and oh. it was mostly it was mostly yeah. white and it was mostly like hey we're gonna be like surfers and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and like if you look at it now it's very like multicultural it's very diverse it's actually very like we want all of the dolls to be in all kinds of different positions in neuroscience like that. Barbie. it's changed yeah it's changed a lot and so there's not that necessarily kind of that little bit of that barrier that there would have been and so i think the brand overall has come a long way so i think this is actually a very very like perfect timing for this kind of i mean i was i was playing with barbies in the 80s and there were singers and there were nurses and there were teachers and there were like lots of different jobs so i feel like people just don't know because they didn't play with barbies i feel like a lot of people who criticize barbies because they literally didn't play with it and they don't know right but but did they all look like me Yeah, no, I grew up with two <laughs> female. I was like very Ember? close. I don't with, think yeah, so. Yeah. No, I grew Matt, up with two female. I like played this. with superheroes too. So don't worry. I was playing with Batman as well. No, it's not about <laughs> She likes she hey. likes trucks as much as she likes uh, whatever. Uh, uh, like, uh, I don't, I don't care about that. 
Can you guys what? hear me? Time out. Uh, yes. I just want to say, yes. like, yeah, Wait, I grew up. Okay, I grew up in the '80s with two female cousins who were both, you know, women of color, and I can I can tell you that it wasn't the easiest thing. Getting black Barbie presents was uh, it was tough. It wasn't easy. There was. Yeah, I'm a... not talking about that. I'm talking about like the the they're forcing you know the baby doll thing. Like I hate it. My mom gave me a baby doll and I'm like, I don't want to be a mom. Like, please stop. Like, I don't want to carry right. around a baby and pretend I'm a mommy. Like, that's not what I want to do. Well, that's why oh, the, yeah. opening I think, of the trailer. Yeah. Works. Yeah. That's what it's yeah. saying. Exactly. That's why well, I love Barbie the trailer. The <laughs> but I don't think there's anything everything. wrong with wanting a, a baby doll. And I would say the same thing about the baby doll side. It was also ridiculously hard to find <laughs> like the baby doll side look just as one note oh, as absolutely. the Barbie side. So yeah. I think both have come a, a long way and I don't think there's anything wrong with either one. I'm just saying as a brand, Barbie has expanded. I was trying to give it yeah. credit. Barbie <laughs> has expanded a lot over the last 10 years. And so I think this is a perfect encapsulation of that, or it looks to be, we'll see what it And I think the movie is going to dread. I think the movie based on our conversation alone is what, this movie is going to tackle is pretty much everything we just did in this conversation about why Barbie was significant, significantly important as a divergence from the baby doll stuff. But while it may not have been perfect, but how it's changed and grown and the Barbie character in this may even learn some of that stuff about her own place in the world as she goes in it. Like, and I think that enchanted element, right? Like if she has to face the real world and, and stuff like that, and how does that reshape Barbie herself, you know? So I'm, I'm just interested to see uh, that, that this is a teaser. And at the end, let's just go around. Are you interested to see? I am. Uh, Matt, are you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Janelle? Yes. And Spencer? Yes, 100%. <laughs> All right, teaser work. We got it. On to Across <laughs> the Spider-Verse. So next up was Across the Spider-Verse, the long-awaited uh, kind of, I would say, fuller trailer than the initial teaser we got for the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And uh, this second trailer, while it did, of course, also do, it was very kind of similar to Barbie in it's a slower part in the beginning and then a, then a kind of sizzle reel of poppy imagery to get us all like ah, excited. And so while I did like, and I was saying this in a comic book meeting the other day, I was like, I feel like the nature of our job makes us almost forced to kind of get so hyperbolically excited about every trailer that's released. But, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to spaz out about doing a slideshow or breaking down every little which spider-man characters were featured in that little montage like uh yes i care but i don't care that much um what i loved about this trailer was it reminded us just how deeply like emotionally powerful the into the spider-verse movie is and how it can really kind of hit you in the feels really hard when it gets to centering on the central character of miles morales and you know his place in this story arc so if you didn't watch it, it's online, but um, it features, it's just a simple conversation between him and his mom at a point where it looks like he's feeling a little bit low. And yeah, that mom conversation again, people are just trying to mess with me. And that's another theme of today in the parenting feels right now I have kids and all these filmmakers, I feel like are just sniping at my, my parenting emotions. But uh, yeah, that was a great like little speech, you know, between mother and son. And it kind of shows you what the emotional core of this movie is. Cause if you've heard anything about the premise, there's going to be some kind of inner conflict with Miles possibly not agreeing with this interdimensional council of Spider-Men and how they're approaching something, this problem. And so he might have to kind of step out on his own as a very distinct and unique Spider-Man who, you know, goes the other route. And so 
I think this scene could be come back to be very important to that theme. And so I was really, I, I was looking for the big blockbuster wow from this, but uh, you know, the emotional thing kind of caught me off guard, but I liked it. Oh, Janelle, what'd you think? Oh my gosh. This is like so exciting. I did deep dive. I went into like new rock stars and watched the entire breakdown of all the <laughs> Easter eggs and everything. <laughs> Yes, don't mention them by name. Come on, that's the ops. I love them. I love them so much. The ops. Um, yeah, I loved all of all of those little like <laughs> nods and all of the stuff that you may have missed. There's a lot going on in this that you don't, you can't really like see. You have to really like pause it to kind of see all the different things that are going on. I will say that I don't know exactly what the story is about besides you know multiversal things and lots of different spideys, but that is exactly what I want from this. So um, yeah. also it was really touching to uh, have like the son and mother moment in the beginning. I really, really liked that. Like it spoke to me. Spencer. All right, Matt. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I, oh, we just... I think the thing that, that I'm most like looking at when I watched this trailer is, you know, the, what we loved about, into the Spider-Verse was how surprising it was, not only from a story perspective, but also just visually. It was so unique and unlike any other animated movie we'd ever seen. And I, I feel like a lot of this is reminding you, it, I mean, a good chunk of it is just footage from the first movie, for one thing. But then a good another piece of it, before things get crazy at the end, is it looks similar to what we saw before. And then once the action really ramps up and he's going to these different universes and interacting with these other Spider-Men, is when we get to see a taste of that those new visuals and how it's going to differentiate itself even further from the first movie. So I guess, you know, this is technically a trailer, but that's what's exciting to me is, is the tease of what we're going to get visually when we go to these other pockets of Marvel yeah. and Spider-Man universes. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you all said it, said it best. Sorry. I was trying not to talk as much because I, I talked a lot during the Barbie segment. I was trying to bounce, <laughs> bounce the scales. <laughs> A little bit. Uh, I I will just say um, Jessica Drew, and we just say Spider Woman looked uh, looked awesome. Great, oh my yeah. god, that was just dopeness in character form. Like I just I'm so excited. Like that looks. I I can't wait for the toys. Like I'm and so. Was that Issa Rae again? Yeah, yeah man. Rae, both of the man. She ended that, that show at the right time. And they went she with the both jacket. Oh, uh, they went with the jacket, which I love. I love that look. Yeah, they kind of riffed on that. This looks looks awesome. I love the animation style. Someone said, uh, I think it was, uh, it might have been Norin, uh, but uh, that, like I could eat this animation, like up just like completely. Yeah, I could eat this animation. It is so delicious. Uh, Norin is right. That's a great, it's uh, a great quote. So yeah, no, I'm 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 stoked. All right, and uh, we do know more details. We know that the main villain of this film and the next film will be the Spot, who is. You know, right up there with cardiac in terms of Marvel. Hey, hey, hey. It's actually like a perfect fit for this Spider-Verse franchise in that he's a person who can who stumbles onto this world between worlds of like portals and stuff, and he wears them on his body and he can move all around through either just space or dimensions. And obviously in a Spider-Verse saga, that's uh that's a pretty problematic power. So okay, cardiac I'm is kind of totally cooler than the spot. He's also like a C-list Marvel villain in the sense that like they could use him in this movie and a make him cool but b like there there's no worries of a live action movie ever using that character <laughs> oh no, no poor like, matt yeah. <laughs> oh, no we were talking about spot not cardiac that's definitely oh. never happening um, yeah. 
That's okay. Yeah, I was gonna say there's probably actually a <laughs> there's actually probably more of a chance. Actually, you never know with Sony. Sony might run out of all ideas. They might have nothing. You know, cardiac hey, could be the hey, main thing of Madam Web. Awesome. I will not tolerate all this cardiac. I mean, if cardiac was like a terminator, if cardiac was a terminator character, Madam Web, I wouldn't be mad at that. You know, yeah, man, yeah, he's such a layered character. Now, how dare you? All right, all right, we're getting off the track. We're getting off the track. Matt, give me a cardiac comic to read. (laughs) Oh, boy. We got so much to do. We got to keep moving. All right. Let's get to our – we're hopping the fence from all these movie trailers over back into the DC drama. Um, I saw early on if somebody was saying they were just showing up to our podcast today to find out if The Flash is going to be on HBO Max or rebooted. Um, I can get you out of here real quick. I can get you out of here real quick so you can get back to your day. Neither. It's still going to theaters. Right. Like that hasn't changed in the last five minutes. I don't think, I, don't think, I so. think the flash yeah. is still going to theaters. Um, yeah. And as we said last week, there's just too much. They hinged on that movie to back out. Now it looks like you, you can't get out of that now. So as far as we know, right now, the flash is still coming to theaters. So now uh, this is comic book nation. You can enjoy the rest of your day. All right. <laughs> moving right along. Like I said, we thought we were going to have a nice fun movie ranking episode. We really wanted to do that this week. We're pushing it off till next week. It'll be fun for Christmas, especially oh, if more yeah. of you get to see Avatar and, and some of the other kind of, because award seasons movies are also coming out and mm-hmm. we're going to start to talk about some of that. And so, yeah, we'll do movies next week because DC went nuts again. And <laughs> here's where we're at now this week. Okay. So in our last episode of DC going down, <laughs> and and just remember, we are the show that, that predicted that DC was going to have this awesome year in 2022. And it seems like they're gonna, just going to beat us over the head for that until like the very last. It started really high. It really did. Yeah, we had a lot of faith. Um, but yeah, so anyway, let's get to it. So this week we learned that what's going to happen with Superman. Um, Henry Cavill is done. There's no other way to say it. All right, like goodbye, Henry Cavill. Uh, somebody, if, I think, was that you, Spencer, in the comic book? Uh, or was that Patrick? I know you guys are kind of wicked with gifts, both of you. But uh, somebody did the Grandpa Simpson coming into the whorehouse oh, and, and immediately yeah. Yeah, immediately grabbing his hat and turning around and going back out the door, <laughs> saying that's how Henry Cavill was cool, when his return as Superman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And so, yeah, Henry Cavill's done. Um, his Superman line at Saga's done. There is going to be no Man of Steel 2. It's over. Uh, James Gunn is going to be the person directing a new Superman movie, which will be tied into the larger DCEU or DCU, sorry, and but will be about a younger Superman apparently coming to Metropolis. Um, and so obviously I'm sad. I was a Snyderverse bro, I, not a bro, but a Snyderverse fan, I guess. And I thought Henry Cavill was, you know, a consummate gentleman for hanging in there all those years with the yeah, I'm going to move on with my career, but never closing the door and keeping fans' hopes alive and thanking them and doing all that. And he deserved better than this. Uh, and and I'm just hope now he, he steps away and really steps away. And if he ever comes back, it's for like a Kingdom Come movie. Um, as people are already saying in the comments, like down the line where they pay him a god-awful amount just to show up and do that because no more no more of those Black Adam appearances. Like, don't waste your time. Um, move on. He's, he's got other things and Matt's going to do a whole Henry Cavill segment later in the show. So we got that coming, but, um, yeah, I'm sad about that. And I'll be honest, I love James Gunn and I love the suicide squad even, but this is not my personal pick of a person that I would have looked at as a Superman movie candidate, but I, I'm not going to go too off the cliff and saying no, 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 like not my Superman either. But, uh, that one was definitely a surprise. How are you guys feeling about it? Let's start with Spencer. 
I mean, what I think is, I, I think his idea for a Superman movie is interesting. You know, uh, not necessarily an origin, but like early days Clark working at the Daily Planet uh, in Metropolis. To me, it's it sounds a lot like, and maybe this is just me thinking they're, you know, they're kind of rebooting, starting a new universe. It sounds a lot like Grant Morrison's action comics from the New 52, which was early days Superman. You know, uh, he has a, he has like a shirt with the symbol on it, but he still wears like jeans. So I'm interested in the idea. I, I do agree that it seems like uh, what happened with Henry. Obviously, no one wants to see that, especially, you know, a six week turnaround from, you know, the celebration of him returning to all of a sudden being gone. But welcome I, to D.C. <laughs> if, if they really are doing a reboot, you know, in comic terms, new 52 style, they could be, you know, planting their seeds and threading the needle towards a crisis event movie, which could bring Henry back. So we'll see. Yeah. And it's been noted that he could, he's, they're not, I mean, despite rumors, he and Gunn seem to be fine and that he could show up elsewhere in the franchise is a part of this rumor. We should note uh, just like Jason Momoa might be, stripping off the Aquaman stuff and putting on a Lobo makeup, Henry Cavill could show up other places in the franchise, either as a different version of Superman or as somebody else. So, uh, Janelle, I know you are the biggest Snyder bro we got. How are you feeling about all this? Are you okay? <laughs> oh my God. I am like, I'm so sad. I, I am so torn because I just like idolize James Gunn and, but yet I love, henry as like superman so i just feel bummed i'm just bummed like it, i was yeah. really excited about james gunn getting in the game and like being like heading all of this up and like i have so much faith in him um but this was not how i wanted it <laughs> like this is not what i wanted this is not what i asked for i just thought that they were going to keep maybe just a, a select two or three things. Um, and I really thought that our Superman would be there. It, not saying that I don't want other Superman though. I, I, I want all the super fam jam, like as many as possible. I think that now that I've read the comic books and I know these other characters, I'm like, yo, let's go. Like everybody needs to see how awesome uh, these other super fellows are. But uh, I, I wish that we had both. If I, I wish that we could have made that work somehow. Y'all are in fire in the comments today. I know um, the comments are yeah. amazing today. Yeah, people are Even y'all petty book. too. Comic book is hot right now. Like, yeah, <laughs> the comic book is hot. Uh, in the comments, if you're just listening to the podcast, uh, we had somebody who said, uh, Treasus, our friend Treasus said, plot twist, they can cast Luke Hemsworth as the new Superman. <laughs> oh, no! I think, you meant, I think you meant Le Liam. Or, I, I don't know if you Liam. meant, I think you meant Liam, but Luke yeah. would be funny too, but I think you meant Liam <laughs> from The Witcher, which I, I, I got the joke and that was, that was still hilarious. So um, yeah, who can keep these Hemsworths straight, right? But um, yeah, that, that's, y'all are so funny and petty. We love our Comic Book Nation commenters, you guys. If you're just listening to podcasts, I mean, take a minute, try out the live show. It's actually, we get, we have a lot of fun here, but um, all right. We've all mourned. Um, I know Spencer, we didn't get to you, but I know you're as the secret moderator of Snyder uh, kind of revert, restore the Snyderverse accounts. <laughs> I know, I know you're not okay. Yes. I'm just kidding. I know Spencer, Spencer is not a Snyder bro. If I remember correctly, oh, you're not a Snyder bro. Fan. No. I was What's that? So excited. I like I like Man of Steel a lot, and I think Batman versus Superman 
is good until the fight, and then the fight kind of ruins it. And I liked the Snyder Cut. I just... There's other things around those movies that aren't the movies that are unpleasant. That's what I meant. I, I was just trying to soften <laughs> in there that I know you didn't like the toxic community. That's okay. Janelle will fight the entire Star Wars fandom some someday. So you're good. <laughs> good luck with um, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Henry, I mean, and Henry Cavill is going to be all right, right? Yeah, uh, Matt has it in here. He has other stuff coming. Uh, do you want to just talk about, we're going to push that all later and just get to how Henry, Henry Cavill's doing all right, or you want to do it now? That's up to you. I don't want to kill the flow because I know we got a couple other. Yeah, we got to go. Yeah, we got to get through some other things. So James Gunn um, won't stop tweeting. Yeah, we, we could have more coming in the minute because our jobs are now just to not only follow Kevin Smith around to see everything he breathes, <laughs> but also James Gunn. So it gets to be work when you're stalking somebody constantly. It, it is a lot of work. Um, so other things happening are we've clarified that Batman is indeed going to be a big part of the new DCU, but it won't be Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves' Batman. They will be their own thing, both James Gunn straight out came out and slaughtered somebody's tweet suggesting or somebody's news report <laughs> suggesting otherwise. And then Matt Reeves came off the top rope and piled on just to, you know, knock that down. So the Batman is still its own thing. Um, there, Ta-Nehisi Coates and J.J. Abrams' black Superman movie is apparently still in the works somewhere in this whole apparatus. Uh, that's one J.J. Abrams thing I think we're still going to get. And... Kevin Smith put out something interesting that, you know, has gotten a lot of attention. It seems to be popular or just at least intriguing to a lot of fans, which is he believes that James Gunn is working off an image, which is the challenge of the Super Friends, which is an old, you know, Super Friends cartoon. But it's basically the Legion of Doom versus the Justice League. And it's an image of them. It's like one of the first comic book promotional images of like, you know, two teams of people like running at each other. And uh, he compared it to like, you know, Civil War eventually doing something like that. But uh, he's saying this could be DC's time to kind of knock that out as they build up an actual team of heroes we know with villains that are, you know, significant enough and having them all clash. Which if we if we're not I mean, before we get to crisis and kingdom come, just pulling off like a Civil War level thing. That's not even Civil War, just war between Justice League and evildoers would be. I mean that'd be a, that'd be impressive for the DC franchise, right? Like small steps, small expectations. So I wouldn't be mad at that. Um, well, that's man, I would just love. That that's that's why James Gunn's uh, Superman, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, Year Two Superman is a, is a fine idea. That that's a building block. You can build off yeah. of that towards forming the Justice League, towards this image, and you know. That, that's the advantage that James has uh, as having worked in the in the Marvel machine for so many years. Yeah. He knows how they've operated. He knows how to thread these things and build them towards other things. And he knows how to plant seeds in movies that will pay off in other movies. Because, I mean, look, Thanos wasn't was in Guardians of the Galaxy because they needed him to be for Infinity War eventually. So, you know, I, I think the man knows what he's doing, even if we don't always like seeing uh how the pieces fall apart sometimes yeah i also i have to address something real quick so number one comic book has a, another great comment because forget crisis on infinite earth dc needs to prove it can handle a crisis on one earth i agree but also i just want them to build to i want tower of babel like that's the big fight thing i want i just want batman taking down the justice league and seeing all the ramifications of that and like that that would be so fun that's something we would see in marvel's movie verse right because that's the kind yeah. of thing you'd see 
them build to. It didn't wouldn't have to be end game. You could have these mini events that set trajectories for characters for long times afterwards. But also, uh, Jesus, I love you. Uh, but please do not bring back Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern because that was no, never, uh, no, 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 no. Please don't do that. No, 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 no. Please don't no, do no, that. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I can't. Um, I can't even get my HBO Max Green Lantern series <laughs> off the ground. Please don't oh, put that boy. Um, but um, so anyway, just to kind of follow up with what you said, though, um, I think the DC animated movie Tower of Babel is something that provided a blueprint for how this image of Challenge of the Super Friends and Tower of Babel don't have to be mutually exclusive because. Who's going to take that information to try to take out the Justice League besides, you know, the Legion of Doom? So I think you could build up to that thing and having of it would be great and interesting. Actually, you now got me thinking, Matt, you got me going off the tangent. But like, yeah, it would be a twist in a superhero movie to have superheroes getting targeted by a team of supervillains. But the key to what's going to get them really hurt is from one of their own Batman, you know, the most infallible, popular DC superhero really effing up this time. And giving the villains the edge to hurt his friends and what that would be i mean that'd be an interesting story because the great drama of that story is like what happens to these characters as friends and colleagues yeah. during and after all of this right and if we lead into a fail safe story oh my god i'm just saying but that's what dc can do and i agree with spencer this this kind of approach is a really good jumping off point. And yes, I, I am sad that, you know, I like Cavill Superman. I don't really feel like he ever actually got the vehicle that I wanted him to get. Um, I like Man of Steel. It's not like my favorite movie of all time, but I like Man of Steel. But like, I never really thought, I was looking forward to Man of Steel 2 because that's when we yeah. were really going to get, okay, we've established him. He's in this world. The characters are here. Let's move. Let's do some really cool stuff. And we never got that. And so that's a bummer, but you know, I'm also yeah, more, and, I'm more and, bummed that he's not a Witcher anymore than he is a Superman. <laughs> and for everybody who criticizes, for everybody who criticizes, like Henry Cavill was always about the long-term performance plan of getting from the Superman we saw in Man of Steel to the hopeful, kind of optimistic Superman that we all knew. And like Matt said, it's gonna be it's a tragedy that we're never gonna get that. But um, all right, that's the latest on our DC drama. I think this is a good time because we hit that nice 40-minute mark. If you're watching on Paramount+, Plus, we always give them the option to cut off the show into a nice shorter version for you guys. And But if you're jumping out now, uh, be sure to listen to the full podcast. We're on your podcast platforms, and you can catch us on our Comic Book Nation YouTube page. But we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to do a review of Avatar, The Way of Water. Spoiler-free review because we know it's early. Matt's going to review Witcher Blood Origin. And uh, me and Spencer are going to talk a little bit about the new Margot Robbie movie that's probably going to be getting some awards consideration. And it's Comic Book Nation, so we have comics. Be sure to stay tuned in for all of that when we come back. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast show of comicbook.com. If you're just joining us now after the break, we spent the first half of the show talking about the new trailers for the Barbie movie and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Plus, we went through the changing, the continuing changing situation at DC Studios with a new Superman movie being announced and Henry Cavill also confirming he is no longer Superman. If you missed any of that after the live show, you can just re-watch it and uh, please do because... We have some pretty exciting, fun stuff to talk about. Now, for the second half of the show, as I said before the break, we are going to start with our review of Avatar, 
the way of water. Uh, I mean, my hand motion, I'm just trying to get in that Jim Cameron mind state of giving people, you know, something visual. Was that 3D enough? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so I went back into Avatar. This was a pivotal movie for me. I don't usually do like biography portions of the show, but um, when the first movie came out, it was right when I started getting into this industry. I, I was just starting to get like really serious kind of response working and building ScreenRant.com at the time. And we got invited to the preview screening for Avatar. And I remember taking my wife and going all the way from Philadelphia to New York. We made a whole day of it. And we went to the theater on 34th street and we saw it. And yeah, I just knew that was going to be a milestone. And we I started writing from that point that like James Cameron was going to do something nuts. It was going to change cinema. The 3d was incredible. And then I saw the full movie and while like everybody else, I have the usual criticisms about, you know, taking dances with wolves and Pocahontas and all those same stories and, just turning them blue. Um, I also did like the world of Pandora and some of the characters that we got to know in the kind of the whole experience of seeing Avatar in a the theater did really kind of reinforce why I love movies, right? There's just certain times you can love movies for story, but there's something about the spectacle and getting in a theater and seeing something you can only experience in a movie theater that does always have that movie magic. And James Cameron has provided that numerous times over my life which is crazy to think about but yeah my parents at nine years old dragged me out to see t2 which screwed me up for life but they wanted because of how revolutionary that was visually and titanic i mean half our high school you know spent most of the last years of high school making out in titanic so that goes without saying but avatar did it again so yeah, it's been 13 years. A lot's changed. Um, you know, Avatar unfortunately gave rise and to the and to the rise and eventual fall of that crap 3D run that we all had to live through in the 2010s, where all the B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down to Z attempts at making more 3D movies never really captured that Avatar sensation again. And now we come back to it 13 years later and we're waiting for Jim Cameron to wow us with underwater photorealistic 3D that keeps up with today's technology. You know, is this possible or do we still care about Pandora? These are all the questions on the table. All right. So here's what I will say. Uh, Avatar The Way of Water. I mean, right from the beginning, <laughs> you're just like, well, crap. You know, cameras did it again. Because, yes, um, visually... This movie is, I would say, 95% of everything it was purported to be. Um, the 3D, I saw it on a wonderful Dolby IMAX screen. And the 3D is, it's uncanny how good it's gotten in immersive kind of 3D. Um, no matter where, I even went to the bathroom at one point, And no matter if you're walking down the stairs. You remember in old 3D, you had to like sit and kind of sit still and do that whole thing? No, like, uh, I mean, no matter where you're moving, like even if you're walking in the theater, this look spectacular and immersive Cameron even makes high frame rate work for pretty much. I would call it like the first official time ever that I've ever seen a movie in high frame rate and been like, yeah, I'm okay with this. And yeah, not you Hobbit, not you, not talking, <laughs> to you. Um, talking about avatar. So that works. I would say why I said 95% is there are times where the high frame rate still kind of gets a little wonky because certain shots he had to switch between it and that gets noticeable a couple times, but you're talking about like small blemishes on a masterpiece canvas, right? Because visually like, yeah. And 
it does kind of a same beat as the first film of, you know, when you finally get to that first moment where this takes you underwater, it is a big, obvious James Cameron, like strap yourselves in the rides going like moment. But that effect is, it's amazing what they do with just kind of underwater effect in this. And I didn't feel like I was drowning at any point, except for one point. There is one exciting sequence that makes you scared as crap to be underwater. Um, but other than that, like, yeah, it wasn't too scary, but it, it was revolutionary. As, as far as the story now, I think the story, and we talked about this in comic book offices, is split because I think it depends on like a lot. I think a lot of this will depend on where you are in life and like what your situation is. Since the first Avatar, I've had kids. I'm raising a family. I've gone through any number of struggles in that department um, from, you know, you know, who my kids are and their identity and, you know, whether they may have challenges in fitting in and things like that to just parenting and, you know, uh, you know, doing things as a couple, as parents, all that stuff. So this one did hit me in the dad bone very hard. There was a lot in this movie, um, especially with you know, father and son stuff that is so on the point timely for me that I can't help but have a bias. I mean, there's just a simple conversation between wife and husband about how hard the father's being on a son and this father being like, well, that's like my job as father and Natiri kind of having to work with him and, and that are just like carbon copies of stuff that, you know, happen in my house now. So I have that bias and this family story did hit me much harder than the kind of dances with wolf story of the first one. There is, and those things really work for me. Now, there are some overall story things that are still a little wonky in this, I will say. Um, Jake Sully's motivation and Natiri in this both aren't really the strongest written characters. It's clearly the kids and some of the returning characters like Quaritch or, you know, Sigourney Weaver's character, Kiri, who are kind of more the focus of this. But Considering where we're going in the larger franchise, I don't think that's unintentional. I think that's because, like Dune, we need to build up. The young generation is going to become the focus of the story. And so I'm not too mad at that, but there are certain beats in the middle where it does feel like it slows down a little bit. That said, the end part is visually more exciting and powerful than the first film. And I do, ugh, I want to go back to Pandora in two years. I want to go back. And I want to kind of keep seeing where this saga goes. Uh, Spencer, I'm going to let Spencer kind of, because he's the other person here who saw it. And I want to hear his thoughts. And then we'll maybe touch on some of the, without spoiling some of the silly, <laughs> funnier or just silly kind of things about it that we can all maybe laugh about. So well, Spencer, I, what I, take? I will address that first. I think it was Norin that said uh, Avatar is unspoilable, where I think one of my favorite things about this new movie is that I could, I've told people things out of context from the movie and they don't know if I'm joking or not. And it's it's things like, yeah. oh, uh, you know, there's a scene where the teenage son is talking to a whale and they're both talking about how nobody likes them. And you're like, am I making that up? Does that really happen? <laughs> it does. <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous when I say it, but it works. And that's what's so crazy about these movies. I don't know that Avatar The Way of Water will convince anyone that didn't like the first one uh that that they're going to enjoy this. I have seen quite a few people that have said that who don't don't like the 2009 film that do like this one. And I'm a little surprised by that because it's it is very similar. I think the first you know two acts of the movie are very similar to the first two acts of the original Avatar. You know, it's 
you're on the run, you're integrating into a new tribe, you're learning their new ways. And, um, you know, it's, but it, it's, it's all build up, you know, Cameron knows what he's doing when he's telling the story, he's layering everything and building it towards that third act, which is his real, you know, the, the, the set piece that he clearly wanted to display for all of us, but needed the first two hours of the film to build toward. And there's, you know, shifting gears, there's no way to uh, undersell the visuals. It looks amazing. It's, you know, imagine the photo reel effects that Weta was able to produce with the Planet of the Apes movies and, you know, times it by 10. It's these, the, the, the Navi look real. These places look real. These animals look real. You know, that, that shot of the, the hands tying the, the lasso on the, uh, on the little seahorse thing, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's breathtaking. And, and the, yeah, it's a weird but, comment, but hands are really a standout in this movie. Like <laughs> when you see hands, you're like, "Holy crap!" That it's looks hands like and hair, like 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 that shot of uh, the Bailey Bass character with the hair. Where like you'll just see little strands sticking out. You're like, it looks. No one, no one thinks to do that in some of these other you know heavy CG character movies where just there's random twigs of hair sticking out of your head that 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 sells the illusion of the reality, yeah. and um, I think. Perhaps my biggest beef with the film is that um, uh, Zoe Saldana's Neteri is sort of sidelined. She doesn't yeah. get to do quite as Fast. much, and, and then she she does uh, she gets a lot to do kind of in the last hour, but she she's not in it a lot. And uh, yeah, it's you know <laughs> if you're if you're down for Avatar, you have got to see this movie on the biggest screen possible in 3D. He did it again. Don't bet against James. The comic book account is clearly not it is not in pro avatar. <laughs> we have a lot of anti-avatar sentiment in this company. I'm not outing any names. Some people in the comments who are fans of our podcast universe, you you already know there's some other people on some of the other shows that are really can't spoil a plot this. if it doesn't have one. Yeah. Jeez. No, but this one Okay, I mean, but we're not watching this movie for plot. We're watching it for the, the yeah. visual spectacle, you know, the advancement of the technology that, that, that James has put together and made for to tell the story, you know, even if the story isn't, is, you know, a B minus or a C plus, the visuals make it more interesting. The, the, the visuals are what sell you on the world. You know, it's, you know, I'm not going to read Avatar as a book. I want to see it as a movie. That's, that's why this exists, you know? Well, uh, uh, Treesus, Treesus asked, would we still be interested in this movie without the visual spectacle? And people ask that, but that I think that's such a, I, don't, I think that's a kind of a logic trap. Because sure. if you take away the visuals, like I, I'm watching this to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this to see all of these story beats. I can watch any movie about the family. I can go watch the Fablemans or that new Noah Baumbach movie that I forget, uh, Smoke or whatever it's called. I forget what it's called. But anyway, White Smoke. Um, I can watch any of those. Any this is award season. I can see that anywhere, right? I can't see it with alien blue people on this fantastical planet that's been so thoroughly plotted out. That's the whole key of Avatar of being these people who we can never be in this place we can never go to. So without the visuals that's like that's just nothing. It's just me watching another like like I said like award season movie. 
But um, would that be a better experience? I guess is that. No. I guess is the question underneath. Would that be a better watching a Hell better no. movie? I'm watching awards season movies left and right right now. It's award season, and I am part of a the Nashville Film Critics Group, and I got to right. watch all these award season movies. And no, no, it's not. Okay, I think I, I think both. that's the underlying thing. I think that's the underlying thing because not every movie has visuals like this or is in this world but would arguably be better i think that's what some people are so i think that's what that argument is saying i don't think you can ever i think that's a fallacy that people make up that you can't ever really prove because like also what's the point of movies well you can't prove it it's opinion but it's if, if your opinion what is your opinion your opinion is saying no but i my opinion is you need both like i i need all of this i need to see deep emotional performance driven award seasons movies but i also need to have in my lifetime several times where i go out to a theater and see something that just even if it's just that just visually blows my freaking mind and there's a movie that we're going to talk about later that uh, next actually that kind of also explores this very much which is a weird week to do them both in but also but, like, um the whole point of these avatar movies and especially this one is that you know plot is overrated this is a movie where it's a, emotional beats are the core of it the visuals are the core of it. Like, we're not going for plot. Like, don't put so much importance on plot. Like, uh, who cares? Like, you, I want to see a train flip. I want to see a, a, a space whale crash into a, a giant ship. I want to see avatars, you know, swimming under the water. I want to see avatars communing with their god in ways that uh, we cannot, you know? It's... Uh, it's it's about this this unique world. It, it's about this. It's about experiencing it in the theater at, at it's just pure cinema there's no other way to explain it so by the way yeah. i'm not saying this i haven't seen it so i'm coming at this for i don't have a dog in this race i'm also not like a big like avatar person in general i was just curious i i think there is i think there's validity to the question but i think it's all subjective because at the end of the day it's really what you're looking for in this i do have to say uh i think mostly you two are, are, are at odds with the comic book account <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, because... comic book clearly hates this. Um, and people are asking about the dialogue. I mean, like Spencer says, this movie's weird in the sense that it doesn't feel like a movie with a script and dialogue. It feels like you're watching alien people try to make friends, and the kids especially, and they have all those awkward beats of, like, trying to talk to each other. Sure. You know, and the kids talk like teenagers. They call each other. They fight. They, like, back up off my sister, bro, like, and things like that. And they rumble, and it just feels like you're watching – like you're on National Geographic and this is like some, uh, uh, I can't, I can't think of that line of study of what's the line of college the anthropology. It's like an anthropology, anthropological trip. And you're just on the thing, like watching it all. Right. And just learning about before. them. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird sensation. I would just say it's a, I think me and Spencer are saying the same thing. It is something you need to go out to theaters to see. That's all I'm going to say. That's my, that's my take. Okay. <laughs> Come at me. At Kofi Outlaw. And then he's got tickets. Okay. That, yeah, that I can't wait. Oh, I love comic book. If you all don't know about comic book, like we have this rancor from people early on and then everybody will flip and then it'll be like, we got Mandela. Nobody will ever admit. Like there was this it. other timeline where everybody hated stuff. See and Okay. Anyway, so we say go see it. That's our opinion. Can um, I add Spencer, one more thing gonna... about the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot of jokes about the unobtainium. Just you wait and, and oh, see yeah. how they replace <laughs> unobtainium in this movie it, it, i put it that article like up. middle finger to, to everyone that has made unobtainium jokes <laughs> yeah oh yeah no i mean i posted that article right before walking in here about what the new <laughs> MacGuffin is there's a whole new MacGuffin, baby and uh it's whale related so get strap in 
Yeah. Can I tell you the new MacGuffin has to do with whales? And yeah. So, and uh, yeah, it's pretty rough. I mean, right, Cameron's move. just let's... like, yeah, let's go on. Let's go on. We gotta get, we're getting bogged down. All right. So the next movie, and I think we're just going to move through this quick because I don't know if uh, people, enough people have seen this, but Spencer and I both got the chance to see Babylon, which is uh, the new movie starring Margot Robbie from Damien Chazelle. I always butcher his last name. Hey, I know her. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's a new movie from the guy who made uh, Whiplash. And I'm hoping to make this make sense to me because I watched this trailer right before the show and I have no idea what this I, is about. I never watched a trailer for it. I just jumped in okay. and just started watching it. And it's so hard lost. to even explain what this movie okay. is about. Okay. But <laughs> Spencer and I, Spencer and I had a lot I'm of fun. Excited thoughts about and, it. Yeah. Just don't know what but, it's um, about. <laughs> so the best I could sum it up is like, this is another, and there've been a lot of these lately, uh, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, it's a movie that's kind of examining the movie making business. And it starts, you know, way back in the era of the silent films. And it kind of moves up through how cinema progressed into talkies and then, you know, Technicolor and kind of what the role of different people in Hollywood was across the span of time and how they changed. Like Margot Robbie's character is this very kind of, you know, big personality girl who's from like the bottom, who wants to be a star. George, uh, Brad Pitt's character is like the most famous kind of actor of the silent film era. Um, the character played by, uh, I don't want to butcher the, uh, the main character guy's name. Um, Diego Calva is this, you know, young, you know, Spanish guy who starts out just being a hand at these famous parties who gets into the film business. And so it's about their lives and their careers over time. But it's really a movie about film itself. It's very this meta movie about film and filmmaking itself and how things have in kind of means Spencer were trying to get to the theme of this last night. It was crazy. But um, kind of how film and making films can literally eat people up. It can eat up your mind, your life, your spirit. But the outcome, these things that last on screen forever and create this magic, how is it or is it not like worth all of that, you know, pain and struggle and some of the really dark things that go around Hollywood, Los Angeles and all in in this process. So it's nuts, man. It is really nuts. Um, Spencer, that was my best attempt. You have anything you can tack on to help us? Explain yeah, this? I mean, it's it's a movie about uh the transition from the silent era of movies to talkies and, but it's also sort of tearing down the, you know, uh, mythical wall of Hollywood as like this bastion of uh, humanity and, and the arts, which is to say that it's all these people, you know, bending, bending over and breaking themselves to create this, these memorable pieces of art. And then they spend the whole rest of their evenings going to like the most outlandish parties you've ever seen and basically destroying themselves. So it's a movie about how I think pouring yourself into art and creating these things uh, is unhealthy. And it's, it is interesting that it's sort of a takedown of Hollywood in that way. <laughs> how do we feel about the visual effects in Babylon? Uh, Trees of uh, There are some, this is yeah, the there are some. movie. This is the only movie you're going to see all year that within the first 90 seconds, an elephant poops all over a guy. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's also the only movie, um, and you might have expected this from Avatar too, but it's the only movie where you're going to see a CGI elephant go, tr you know, stampeding through an orgy. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but I, I also think the, the one thing that's, another thing that's interesting about this movie is that 
it seems to be have like a theme running through it about how not only Hollywood at this time, but I think Hollywood now is sort of built on exploiting and using uh, women and minorities to like make white dudes richer. That that that's a big theme throughout the movie, yeah. even though it doesn't. It's it's not like you know hammering that over your head a lot. It's it's definitely there. I think the problem that I have with the movie is that there's parts where it really works. And then there's parts that are just like so over the top that it's like two on the nose. And this movie really has the disadvantage of having come out at the, in the same year as both the Fablemans and Nope, which are movies about the movie industry and movies about visual storytelling that are using a lot of subtlety and are making it more personal. And the fact that this one is so over the top and very, you know, kind of great Gatsby-esque kind of makes it not as interesting as both of those. Hmm. Um, I, I was only, I haven't seen Fablements yet. It's on my screening list, but I did, I, I actually like this a lot more than Nope because this reminded me of like uh, Godsford Park, things like that. Sure. Uh, movies that kind of like are good or some early Paul Thomas Anderson, like Boogie Nights movies that move through like these characters and, and do in these worlds um, and at a very kind of kinetic high energy pace to them that almost becomes like very manic or stressful. And there are parts of this that do go like that go from like feeling like drunkenness or some kind of weird hallucinatory dream to feeling like you're on Coke, like the characters and all amped up. Um, there's a really in some of the sequences I think are just so amazing. There's a, a sequence about trying to capture sound for the first time when they're trying to do sound. That is just like Spencer said, it is like in and of itself, so over the top and exhausting emotionally. Um, but it, I mean, but that's kind of the point, right? How much do they have to get to get this one scene of this movie? And you see uh, like, you know, there's some pretty drastic things that happen by the time they finally get it, that it's crazy. And if you've ever been on a movie set, that is what it's like, you know? spending all of your day and all of your energy and all these resets and all this stuff to get like 30 seconds of some menial piece of the film, like a person walking into a store. Um, and so I think it's interesting. I think the more you know about film and Hollywood and filmmaking, the more you'll get out of it. Uh, it's going to be intense for the average viewer, but I don't want to spend too much time on it. I just thought it was funny because of the subject matter and Margot Robbie, who's also doing Barbie. I mean, this movie is her, and I can't, I would love to talk to her about, was this like free therapy catharsis for you? Because there is so many ways in which she is kind of like, I feel like striking back at her own time in Hollywood, her position as like, uh, you know, being positioned as a bombshell and a sex symbol and how she kind of like internally may feel about a lot of that stuff is, is inherent in this character somewhere. So anyway, Babylon, it was crazy. It was good to check out. Thank you, Spencer. I like, you know, getting to chat some award seasons movies. This one was sticking with me. Matt, take us back in for Margot Robbie supremacy to the other DC guy, Henry Cavill supremacy. <laughs> yeah, let's. What's uh, going on so, in The Witcher? So before, so before I jump into uh, the Witcher Blood Origin uh, review, we'll kind of address some of the Henry Cavill uh, of it all, because of course everyone knows, as referenced in the comments earlier, uh, that Liam Hemsworth is going to be coming in as Geralt in season four season three is already production wise is already filmed and Cavill will be Geralt throughout that entire season. Um, but then of course, 
the discourse became why he was leaving and then the superman of it all came into it and then now things become a little more clear because last night a uh, report broke that he was in talks to star uh as well as produce uh, a warhammer movie or project for amazon but amazon had not acquired the global rights yet uh to games workshops warhammer 40k universe then today a report hits that yes that deal was sealed so now it's official and then cavill is now set to star and executive produce uh this project and essentially what they're calling a warhammer 40k cinematic universe um the and we're still debating if this guy is like the geekiest man he is he is on. i mean look he's a yeah man he likes i mean look he's he's played superman Geralt. uh as uh he's also of course he's going to be in uh, oh my god warhammer 40k but no one knows who he is yet but then also it was mentioned in the comments i saw i forget sometimes that he's also attached to the highlander reboot um so like yeah dude might be one of the <laughs> geekiest people in hollywood uh which is which is cool and he and he likes cool franchises i mean the thing about warhammer is that one it is ripe for a franchiseification like amazon has shown they're willing to shell out a ton of money for these huge ips that that have so much potential for world building and this is no different and but the difference the biggest difference between like lord of the rings and, some, and you know even like they've you've seen what they've done with the boys and expanding that so far but like the difference with lord of the rings warhammer 40k is very much uh is a huge thing in books in the tabletop space and in the video game space it's had a lot of adaptations but it has not had a lot of adaptations in the tv and movie side so you really are kind of like you have this entire world and now you have a fan a very genuine fan of the franchise kind of trying to help spearhead this it's a it's a good thing i think it's amazon's willing to shell out money and by the way the thing about the 40k universe is like just about everyone's terrible like it is not a like cavill is probably not going to play someone that is this kind of altruistic person in this universe this world 40k is very much a everyone's kind of bad all of actually not kind of they're terrible they're, <laughs> they're terrible this is a state of things that like to keep interstellar travel open they essentially feed a thousand people a day to this dying person that they see as a god and that is how they keep interstellar travel open and if they don't feed and continue to keep that open they can't travel and they're all cut off from everybody so like this is what they're willing to do this is not a this is a very dark world but the thing is visually like if you've ever seen some of the miniatures or if you've ever seen someone play warhammer and they're playing some of the various factions which there are a ton this is one of the coolest looking worlds like the like space marines look on there's like a, so many different variations of space marines but that's just like one faction there's like tanks that uh the the battle sisters right have like tanks that like are church organs that are tanks roaming across the battlefield this is a really <laughs> cool world so if they do this right and amazon's willing to put the money in this could very much stick out as a distinct thing in their, yeah, in their life. I think you need to send people to Google this. This is blowing my mind. It's like you explaining cable to me. <laughs> and, we're talking about, and we're talking about Avatar and a kid talking to yeah. a whale. It's weird. Yeah. Okay. This is cool. Crazy. It's a cool world. And like, 
this is there is really I would be if I was a Warhammer 40k like hardcore fan, I'd be excited because you've seen what an enthusiastic person and people who were into the Witcher lore because like the showrunner like Warren uh Hisrich is a huge fan of you know Andrei Sapkowski's books and Henry was a huge fan of the games coming in and they've done a lot with the Witcher. So like if you Speaking give which, them yeah exactly it's a, it's a perfect segue uh so blood origin takes things there is no henry cavill in this uh there is it is very much a prequel story that is setting up the conjunction of the spheres which is essentially like one of the biggest events the the biggest event i would say probably in witcher lore it's how all these monsters came to be in this world it's why there's witchers like there's all this stuff connected to it so this is going to set the stage for that um it's four episodes it was originally six um my my biggest thing is there's i really enjoy this is a very much a classic like you know we're gonna we we need to kind of bring this ragtag group of heroes together of people together not even heroes but like people together uh for kind of a common cause and so the first two episodes are really kind of like assembling that team and then the next two episodes are really kind of getting to be with that team and it's one of those things where it's kind of its biggest strength and its biggest weakness because i would have totally i think actually the sweet spot probably would have been five episodes but four episodes you're just you're moving like you're you're meeting these people and they do a really good job of establishing several of them there are a couple who kind of get the short end of the stick a bit but the ones that like you really gravitate to they're awesome. Like I, I really enjoyed this group of characters and seeing them on this journey. And then it's just unfortunate that like, you don't get to really sit in that world with them all together very long, because then by the time we hit the fourth kind of, you know, finale episode, some of them are also kind of going separate ways because they're doing different things. So it's just, that would have been my one, but it moves so quick and you're never bored and you're, it, it, it like leaves you wanting more. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn on that. And, and there's a lot of divisiveness about that, the length itself amongst other reviews and stuff. Um, but I enjoyed the characters. I mean, Fial uh, and Ayla are, are great seeing their kind of dynamic and relationship form. You do learn some really big things about how witchers came about, who was the first witcher. Um, and, and it's pretty, the process, the trial of the grasses, as we talked about with, the main Witcher series has hinted at that, but like here it's like you really see kind of the barbaric nature of how that all came about. So they do a really good job there. Prepare for everyone to love Meldoff, who is a uh, dwarf with a hammer named Gwen. There's a whole backstory to that and people are just going to adore her by the end she's amazing in every scene i wish there was more of her in the series. Uh, and then there's monsters, of course, uh, not as many as you probably expect. But again, this is an this is set in the past, so we're not where we kind of expect monsters just to be around every corner as is present day. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed this. I thought it was it was really interesting. These are a lot of new characters, and I thought they did a really good job of establishing them pretty quickly. I would have liked to have more time. I would have probably been okay with one more episode. You keep the pace, and it's a trade-off. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. I think people are going to get a, a kick out of it, and it does tether enough to the main you know timeline there are going to be some things they build off of uh that it, it doesn't feel like oh you can just disregard it i think i hope they do that especially with like characters like mini drivers character and things like that uh but but i enjoyed it i think you should definitely check it out you can check out more thoughts 
from me uh, on our on our YouTube channel and on the full review on comedy. Yeah, more. All right. Yep. There you go. All right. Now, don't stop talking now. Take us out. Our last segment of the day will be comic books. And so what comic did we read this books. week? All right. So we're going to dive into uh, this is I think this is a whole episode of of surprises or quirkiness. Can we can we, <laughs> can we describe this? According? So Danger Street number one uh, is the new Tom King DC Black Label series. And, uh, you know, I didn't I kind of went in a little bit cold like i i was excited i, I remember reading of like the initial announcement but then i kind of stayed away from everything else like i didn't really look at previews i didn't really look at more interviews i was just kind of trying to like i want to go in kind of cold and uh because of that i think i think that this issue worked for me but also like, i was a bit confused like there's a <laughs> it's kind of it takes a minute for everything to kind of start to coalesce and and come together and really this is a, a mystery and also kind of a tale about heroes trying to kind of raise their level. You know, they want to be Justice League tier and they, and they kind of go about it in an interesting way. And then it all horribly backfires. This book is also, it lives up to the black label, uh, I will say, reputation of being a bit brutal at times. It's just like, oh, hey, that happened. Like someone just lost... <laughs> so there's a lot of blood there like it's that kind of thing um i am intrigued by the mystery there is a vintageness to everything i it's it's hard to talk about this book without even if i got in the spoilers it's still kind of hard to talk about <laughs> about this book so it's the tom king book i mean look yeah. there is look there is some of that i know what i'm getting into when i when i read a tom king look book. I, I feel like you you're just going to back you're trying to build up like uh, a thing no here, but, uh... like i just i I'm not even conflicted. I enjoyed it, but there's still a lot of pieces missing for me. So I don't even really know how I quite feel about this. I kind of have to see how things play out a little bit. So I'm conflicted. I don't know really where I sit with this. I'm more, I'm interested to see what you guys think. Um, this was an issue one. I have no desire for issue two. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I'll say. Um, and you know, we've loved Tom King. We love Tom King's yeah, Batman. Yeah. I even enjoyed Bat and Cat for trying to keep up for what that was all about. Um, Rorschach was all right, but like this is just getting too far out there to me. I, I just didn't enjoy this book from top to bottom. Uh, Danger Street, the title didn't even really factor into me as like a really strong part of the book. I had to like literally go back through this like twice just to read it. The kind of heightened fairy tale narration and all that yeah. just made it hard to keep track of who was who and like what was going on and like again there's just too many storylines happening that i don't that n don't necessarily grab my attention to make me know why the hell i should care about even one of them and even the main one that seems like it could be the most comic booky and most accessible it just seemed it just seems flimsy and really silly like i just it lost me completely with the whole conversation about these characters these B-level characters trying to get in the Justice League and like saying, okay, well, here's our plan. We're going to do this and do that. And what they kind of lay out, I'm just like, this just sounds like a stupid contrivance that you know is going to go wrong. Like that you within the universe should know is a stupid overwrought plan. So yeah, I didn't enjoy this. And as somebody said, there's one page that we get to that is just so long with dialogue yeah, that is yeah. just rhetoric being thrown at you. And ultimately, it's not even that important. <laughs> like, I had a bigger question about one of the drawings in that panel that follows that whole speech, which made me flip back and forth through the book and confused the hell out of me and it still left me confused. 
that I didn't even care about the speech that I just spent all that time reading. But I also turned off my iPad the first time I got to that thing and was like, well, I'm out. I'm going to sleep. And like rolled over in bed and went to sleep. Are you talking and about, like, are you, okay, so are you talking about writer's speech in the middle um, of yes, the camera? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we're yeah. on the same page. Yeah, okay. I hit that page and I was like, well, I'm out. And I went to sleep and I had to wake up like later and like when I was fresh and was like, okay, let's read this whole thing. And again, at the end of that scene, my whole question was like, well, I don't care about the speech. What is this one picture I'm looking at? Like, who is he doing this for? And why do they, you know, look like, you know, and all that. So I don't need to ever come back to this. If I'm forced to because of Matt's agenda, I will. But uh, and, I, and I'm not hating on Tom King. I enjoy no, Tom absolutely. King. But like, yeah. this just wasn't it for me. So, so me. Janelle, did you like this? No, not <laughs> at all. Not even a little. I feel so bad. Yeah. Uh, but I feel so much better after everything that Kobe said because I was like, maybe I'm just not getting it. Like, maybe I'm just, it's me. Maybe it's me a problem. And I'm so glad that it's not a me problem. I have no freaking clue what was happening and I didn't care to try to go back and understand. I was like, I just got to get through this. I just got to get through this. And that's not a great feeling. I know. The only thing no. I like, I recognized maybe like two words and like, I was like, Oh, it's just the names of the kids. Like what are, what are we oh doing? My God. Okay. I still don't there, There's parts of this book. I just, every time they would say the kids names, it would take me immediately out of it. Like yeah. I, I understand. I, I don't know how many times. Yeah, I don't know how much time Tom King spends in the streets. Like I got made fun of by saying "ops" earlier in this episode, but like no, I just thought it was funny. I didn't make books books like this. funny. Um, yeah, oh, I, I agree. I, I, it took me out of it. Um, so okay, so Janelle, so you are not interested in, in following this. Please no. <laughs> Spencer, did you get to Spencer? Did you check this one out? I, I haven't, but from what everyone is saying, it sounds a lot like you know. I, I like Tom King. I loved his Batman run, but uh, this seems like the coin flip of his work, which is that you know sometimes it's so ambitious that uh, it it doesn't land. And uh, <laughs> wait for the trade. Uh, Brywood says, "Yeah, I, I might do that because." That's that's the problem is that a lot of his his book his works are written in that way they're written for the the big picture and uh, when you only get one chapter it's yeah. confusing and it doesn't make sense and you don't want to see the rest of it so uh, I am curious I'm curious about where it goes but I will just spoiler alert. Uh, we won't be covering this for. I'll, I'll put that on me, and I'll report back if if any of the, listen. How things I, Matt, come back. I'm always open. If you read the next issue and you know something crazy happens that we'll like, you know, put it in front of me. But yeah, I'm waiting on you. I'm not going to seek it out. I don't see that. All right. Uh, what so about let's our move next on one? Real quick. Yeah, to Marvel uh, to something far different. Uh, Monica Rambo, yeah. Photon Number One. Um, this is a first of a five issue miniseries, and it's just really you know, establishing where Monica is at this point in time. She's still trying. This is, I mean, this is very much kind of a slice of life issue. It really kind of dives into where she fits in with the superhero community, where she sees herself. Uh, there is a little bit of touching on uh, the Captain Marvel, you know, mantle and things like that. And then also just a lot of family stuff. And I think actually the, the family stuff was the stuff I enjoyed the most out of this. I would have been, there's a big kind of 
fight, a bombastic fight with like Spider-Man. I think that's fun and it, and it looks cool. I actually really dug the art in this issue. Um, but I think actually the stuff that resonated for me more was the family stuff because that's actually a side of Monica that we haven't really had a chance to explore a ton in other books. And as she references in this issue, she is typically brought in as like the big gun because she's like her power set is so unique and, and powerful that she's kind of brought in as that and she's used to taking command. We even saw some of that in the, was it the Thunderbolts? No. Was it the new Thunderbolts? Yeah. Or, yeah. New Thunderbolts. yeah. So we saw some of that there. So it references kind of recent stuff. But yeah, I I thought this was fine. I enjoyed this issue. I, I found a lot to like, but like it didn't necessarily go... I didn't come away going like, yeah, like people will just like want to jump in moving forward and, and see what's so cool about Monica. I that I'm kind of in the middle for that. But what'd you guys think? I Let's agree. Go I think, go first I, oh, I think, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, Spencer, go for it. I was gonna say, I think this is like a great starting point for people who maybe know the character from the MCU, maybe have a familiarity with her from there. It it, it has enough of her you know, past and, and teases of where she is in the Marvel un comic universe right now, that it's a lot of fun. But I, I think what's really cool is in the artwork is they have some really great uh, panel layouts for that. Mm -hmm. They aren't, uh, you know, page spreads, but they are panels that go across the entire page of her flying. Those are fantastic. Yeah. It looks cool. It looks really cool. Yeah. That was the best part. Um, go yes. ahead. Jen, I'm sorry. Agreed. Uh, no, that, it was the best part. But I mean, the art. Gosh, look at that beautiful face. Like the eyes. <laughs> oh awesome. my gosh! Like heck of a job on the artwork. Obviously, I'm a little more familiar with uh, Photon, and I am so pumped to get any new information on her character. I feel like we're going to be seeing her more obviously in the MCU. So, I love that. I don't have all the context of her being Captain Marvel or any of that but it didn't mess me up. Like I rolled with the punches. I like assumed, you know, the storyline, I could tell her struggle. And, um, this was just an easy read for me and really enjoyable. Kofi. All right. Last but not least me, I think Marvel is setting up for the Marvels next year. And this was a good way to kind of, yep. again, we've seen this before. Uh, we saw this recently with who was it that they also did. We were just talking about kind of the same thing. Oh, Miss Marvel this uh, this year. The oh yeah, the Miss Marvel team ups. Yeah, so they're just kind of like you know, Marvel is just doing they're throwing out some books to help people from the MCU get established in the comic book page and vice versa. So uh, yeah, and, and as in the comments, I wouldn't be surprised based on this release if you know in the Marvels Monica gets the official Photon name. Um, I don't I don't think we'll see Spectrum. I think it'll be, although that's how they kind of presented it in WandaVision. That'd be confusing as hell if they did that. So hopefully it is all synced up, but um, it was just all right. It felt like a Marvel promotional piece for the character that they're going to be highlighting in the next year. So that's yeah. how I enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then real quick uh, before we leave, uh, Dark Crisis. Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven is, is, is coming out and it's going to kind of bring all this to a head. We haven't stayed along with dark crisis um as long i don't know I, if, I, I don't know if dark crisis is staying along with dark crisis <laughs> i okay so as someone who really enjoyed six and I, I six was awesome six was kind of the big bombastic fight scene and then you know williamson kind of teased that seven would be something actually a little bit different a little bit more introspective even though it does have big battles but it would be something a little bit different and I can't go into like spoilers and stuff because this isn't out yet. But I will say I really, I really enjoyed this issue. I think for fans of the Nightwing 
kind of Deathstroke dynamic that has moved throughout this series. I think those fans will get a lot out of this issue. And I I really enjoy the place that we leave things off. It, it sets up some some interesting things down the line for DC's universe. So I, I came away with this really, like really enjoying it. And I think as a whole, like when, and you can say this about a lot of crisis events, as a whole, I think it'll read really well. I think it, it's actually a really well put together event and how things move through. But I think just during the middle, some of that monthly issue stuff, it gets a little muddled. Um, so I think it started really interesting and it ended really interesting. And so I will be interested to read in trade, but that's, uh, that's comics. All right. Batman spawns also out. We did some, uh, yeah, that's right. Paula and Todd McFarlane. It's just all right though. Um, all right. We got to get out of here, Matt. Yep. You, you yeah, no, that's tirade, let's go. Let's go. but, uh, all right. So you done? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good? we gotta talk. We can't talk. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we're done for this week with Matt's agenda, and that'll bring us to the close of Comic Book Nation, uh, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast show of comicbook.com. If you'd missed our intro, we are on your favorite podcast platforms, and you should subscribe and be able to listen to us at least every week when you're on your drive at home cooking or wherever else you listen to podcasts. If you want to watch the show live, we invite you to every week. We have a great community here. Thank you, everyone, as usual, for showing up from Treases to Brywood to YouTube, all in the game. Blue Cat Jen. I know I'm missing a lot of people, but we got to get out of here. And I'm just looking at the latest ones in front of my face. Uh, sorry. Um, Joker, Crow. Yeah, everybody. Thank you guys for showing up and participating. We love it. You guys keep us laughing and make the show so much fun on an interactive level. You can subscribe to Comic Book Nation's YouTube page, follow us on Twitter, and of course, check out comicbook.com for more on all the content we're talking about because we also go and write about all this stuff. So be sure to check us out. Otherwise, thank you for tuning in and you can follow us all individually. As you see on the screen, I'm at Kofi Outlaw. I'm at Matt Aguilar CB. I am at Janelle Wheeler. I'm at B. Spencer Perry. All right. See you guys next week as we hopefully DC will settle down enough for us to do rank our favorite movies of the year as we approach the Christmas oh holiday. We do have another show coming next week. So uh, we'll be here for you guys over the Christmas holiday and uh, hope you guys take some time to uh, tune in with I us. I got my no Otherwise, Oh boy. Otherwise, this is confirmation <laughs> and we're out of here. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>